This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission, to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. On today's episode, I'm addressing something more and more people are thinking about during the pandemic, life insurance. Isn't it weird how mortality makes you think about stuff? But before that, I'm going to talk about something that may be in your hand right now, your phone. I've got info for you about the true cost of you owning the latest, greatest Samsung or Apple phone. So (laughs) this is wild. There was a calculation done by CNN Business of the real cost of being a Samsung fan or Apple fan. There are people who are absolutely obsessed with the latest greatest from these two companies. And so the cost of you when they come out with a new whatever can just blow your budget to smithereens. I have a friend who every single time Apple introduces anything, He buys it and he'll buy something and then I'll say, so how's that working out for you with that new iPad or whatever? He says, well, I haven't really been using it, but I use the phone all the time. So he, and just follow the, you know, the numbers, you know, he had a a 10, you know, he's got the new 12. But he doesn't miss any of them. He had an 11. I mean, every one of them that comes out, whatever the top one is, he's got. Well, when CNN Business calculated what it would cost to buy all the most expensive Apple gadgets, and I love what they put in parentheses, if anyone ever actually did such a thing, I know that person. 80 grand. $80,000. But then get this the samsung fans would spend more over ninety thousand dollars so do you have to have a new one all the time my wife is an apple person she's the macbook and she doesn't have a tablet but she's macbook and has the iphone she has a 10r and her 10r is really not behaving well now. The battery life is down to about two hours on a full charge. And I keep saying, honey, why don't we just get you a new one? I mean, they've got these that run on 5G. You'd really benefit from the 5G. And she says, no, it's just too much hassle. It's funny. She is the opposite of my friend who has to have the latest, latest, latest. But there's a real cost to it. And with these things 
give them a little bit of time. I mean, look at Samsung doing the deals that they've been doing on their newest phones, the S21s, the series. And then you've got Apple that just two weeks after they introduced the 12s, there were all kinds of deals available on them from the cell phone carriers, if you actually even needed the newest, greatest phone or device. And with Apple, with the laptops, be very careful when you buy an Apple laptop. You want to buy one early after they come out with a new version of one, but not right away. And you never want to buy one when it's been years since they've done a major refresh. Because what happens to Apple loyalists when you buy a MacBook after it has not been through a refresh cycle in a while, right after you buy it, it seems, the new one will come out and it'll be cheaper and it'll be much, much better. So be careful with your wallet. And Krista, how can we serve people right now? You can serve Shelly in Florida. She says, this is not a question, but an alert. I'm receiving fraudulent phone calls from parties stating they are from Amazon. They say I purchased an iPhone on my account and it's being shipped out of state. Would you be so kind as to announce this on your program? Thank you for mentioning this. This is what's called a pretext. And pretext calls that create a real sense of urgency are a big problem. And Amazon, because of its popularity has become a, a real opportunity for the pretexters to pretend they're calling from Amazon, but it could be from any organization where they say, you got to do something right now. We need to have access to blah, blah, blah to shut down this fraud. What you do is you say, thank you so much for alerting me. Have a great day and hang up. And if you really have an Amazon account, go sign into it and you'll see whether there actually is any fraudulent activity potentially happening on your account. What you'll find out is the fraud is the phone call, not somebody buying stuff pretending they're you. Fred in Virginia wrote in and said, all my friends and relatives think I'm crazy that we are in no hurry to pay off our mortgage. About five years ago, we were in a position to refi at 2.75% fixed at minimal cost or just pay off the remaining 150000 and be mortgage free. At that time, we could also deduct the interest that lowered the effective rate to 2.1%. Sure, if you didn't have a mortgage, you would say that save the 70K in interest and would be able to save and invest the monthly payments over 30 years. However, if you just kept the money invested in an average performing index fund over the same 30-year period, you would see $2.6 million, far outstripping the payoff option. What are we missing here? You're missing nothing, and this is a dilemma for people who are in ultra-low mortgage rates, is that with an ultra-low rate, are you uh, better off prepaying on that mortgage, or are you better off doing what you're doing as an investor? You're better off doing what you're doing as an investor. But here's the thing you'll hear somebody ask me that changes the answer to the question. There are people who are not natural investors and their money is sitting in a savings account they are reluctant to take that money and invest it as you are willing to do and so for them earning a fraction of one percent on savings versus paying two and a half percent in their case it makes sense 
to take that money out of savings and pay down that mortgage. In your circumstance, it's a much better use of money to invest it. Diane in North Carolina says, I have no family or close friends whom I'm comfortable with to be executors of my will. I'm currently residing in a continuing care retirement community. I've hired a geriatric case manager to advocate for me. And if, if and when needed, I'm an excellent, but right now I'm in excellent health and I never have had to use my case manager for any issues. Are there any agencies or types of professionals I can hire who may be able to help me when it comes to executing my will? This is a a tough problem when you have people in your life or on the periphery of your life that you don't feel you can trust to carry out your wishes as you would like. The alternative that is generally recommended legally is that you hire an attorney or you, you name an attorney as the executor of your estate. Then have them carry out your wishes you have better legal protection that they'll do what you would wish the disadvantage is there are going to be costs involved with having a lawyer billing the estate fees for being the executor of the estate but in most states that would be the right answer in your case And William in Maryland says, hi, Clark, I just turned 18, and I was wondering when do you recommend I start working on my credit, and what should I be looking for as a first credit card? So, good question, and 18 is a great time to do so. So, William, we don't know if you're in college. If you are in college, then you're eligible for a college student credit card. You have to be a full-time enrolled college student. And they are, uh, the cards available to college students are available without having to have prior credit history. And you're able to get a small limit card that will help you build up your, your credit standing. An alternative that I recommend if you're working at 18, if that's what you're doing, is the pedal card, P-E-T-A-L card.com. They are Visa cards that give you the ability with no annual fee to earn cash back and build up credit line. Their credit limits start out very low, 500 bucks to help people establish credit. And they use their own proprietary method to determine whether or not you are credit worthy rather than traditional credit scoring. The other thing you can do is join a credit union. Uh, Many credit unions, probably a majority, offer what generically is referred to as fresh start programs where you're able to get a credit card in return for being a member of the credit union. Again, a very small limit. You're kind of issued almost like a probationary Visa or MasterCard at first, and then you graduate over time to a full-fledged credit card holder, and it's a great way for you to establish credit from scratch and we've got more for you straight ahead on today's podcast we're going to talk about something that i talked about in the past and people didn't want to hear it and that's buying life insurance and why you should have it and right now many people are all ears tell me more the biggest surprise i read in a story is that 
the greatest interest of late has been people under 40. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nothing like a pandemic to get people focused on, well, their future or when their demise might occur. There's a tendency when we're younger to feel somewhat invincible. And so getting somebody who is 20 to 40 interested in buying life insurance historically has been really, really hard. And in recent decades, almost impossible. The reality is people under 40 grew up in an era where the idea of having to deal with a life insurance salesman was something they just would not do. Well, two factors have changed this equation. One is you don't have to deal with a human anymore to buy life insurance. You can now buy life insurance and in several cases have a policy instant issued right over your smartphone or your laptop. The second thing is that because of coronavirus, people who might not have focused on buying life insurance now are thinking, hey, maybe that's something I should do. And so that has been a game changer with uh, life insurers being especially surprised by the age of people contacting them to buy a life insurance policy. Medical Information Bureau says that the number of applications of younger people is up almost 10%. And people that are older, really no movement. This really has been about younger people buying. And I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal that if people do an application, 70% of the time they end up buying the life insurance. So the hard part is getting people interested in buying a policy. And the reality is that if you buy the kind I recommend in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, known as level term insurance, you can buy it to cover much of your working lifetime or for a different purpose. Let's say you're buying it because you have minor children and you're trying to protect them financially in the event you were to pass away, or you have a partner or spouse that you're trying to protect, and you buy a policy, you can buy it for a period of typically 10 to 30 years in a level term. Level term is dirt, dirt cheap. A lot of policies quoted uh, based on a monthly premium, typically 20, 25, 30 bucks a month for a significant amount of life insurance. And now, because of the math formulas that insurance companies are more and more adopting, you're able with a lot of insurers now to apply. They run a medical background on you. That It's creepy how much they can find out about you like that. 
and then determine the risk level you represent and either say, yeah, we'd love to have you. Here's your policy and here's your premium. You want it? Go ahead. You're live. You're real. Or they may say, well, you know, I don't think you're exactly who we're looking for. But you'll know immediately. There's a fuzzy middle sometimes with instant issue policies where they'll say, hey, we got to talk to you. we got to do more digging and figure out if we can insure you, what they call underwrite you. But the idea of getting insurance is something that anybody who's under 40 who has worked for me over the years, I drive them crazy saying, hey, have you bought life insurance? Have you bought it? Have you bought it? Because if you got kids or you have that spouse or significant other, you don't want to leave them in a lurch. And this coverage is so cheap and you got huge amounts and you don't have to deal with a salesperson and you eliminate, they're able to sell you these policies so much cheaper because you're not paying the massive commissions that are so typical with traditional life insurance. Remember, these policies I'm talking about have no savings accounts, no investment accounts to them. They are simply death benefits. You die, the people you want to protect get the money, period. If you go to Clark.com, I have a guide that walks you through getting quotes and buying level term insurance think about if you're 30 or older and you buy a 30-year level term you will have protected most of your remaining key working years at not much money per month it's really an important thing to do to protect those that you care about and it's time for your questions Krista? Yep, we do have a question about this. Anna says, I'm 29 years old and single with no dependents. I have no debt. Is there any reason for me to have life insurance? My company offers a small policy that would that would at least, I think, maybe get me buried if I passed away. So you were in a position that life insurance is not a priority for you. And I know an insurance salesperson would say you should buy it now, even though you don't have a real need to provide for a survivor, just because now you're healthy enough to be able to buy it likely. At a later date, you might not be. But you can't plan against every eventuality in life. And if right now uh, you don't have others that depend on you for income, then this would not be a priority for you. Stan, Stan in Ohio says, I want to get a debit card tied to its own bank account that I can use for internet purchases, subscriptions, etc. I have a credit score of 820 now. Would this affect my score, and would that be a practical way of limiting the danger of online scamming? So, interesting question you pose. First, it affects your credit score not at all. A debit card does not have impact at all on your credit score. Second, um, I would rather you not use a debit card for online purchases. Because there are a lot of protections that the law provides to you with an internet purchase. If the goods are misrepresented, if the goods don't show up or things like that, 
you have those protections with a credit card. They don't exist with a debit card. My preference would be you got this huge score, 820, 820, right? Mm-hmm. You got this great score. Get a credit card or take one of the ones you have right now. Use it only for your internet purchases. And then you'll have the protections in place. And you won't have to worry that if the number's compromised, that you have to change other things going on in your life. For the uh, subscriptions, things like that, I guess you could use that same card. Uh, Again, there's no real benefit to using a debit card versus a credit card. Credit card, your liability in the event of fraud is zero. Um, At most, it would take a special circumstance, your liability is capped at 50 bucks. But remember, if fraudulent activity happens on a credit card, no money is left your hands. And a debit card, if a debit card is compromised, the money is gone from your account. You have to fight with your own bank or credit union to get that money restored. And Gail in Oregon wants to know, do I need to retain my paper utility bills? Uh, only if you try to reduce your utility bills by throwing them in a fireplace during cold weather. I know of <laughs> no reason that you need to keep a utility bill. Besides, with utility bills, you have online access to billing that if you've thrown away a bill, so what? You just sign into your account and you'll see those prior bills. And a sim- uh, Can I give one exception? Of course, sorry. <laughs> if, if you have um, any business use that would allow you to use your utility bills as a partial or a complete tax write-off, then you keep those bills. Otherwise, dump them. And a similar one, Jen in Michigan says, I just traded in my old car for a new car at the dealership. How long do I need to retain all of my paper receipts? They go back to 2005. I can't believe it. You have kept all your paperwork on everything that ever happened with your vehicle for 16 years? And that vehicle is no longer in your life. I am so impressed. I can't stand it. Unreal. Uh, Yeah, you can toss those things. Okay. Sam in Oklahoma says, I looked up an older story about using T-Mobile for home internet and decided to look into it. Um, There's a plan in his area. He says he qualified and thought he'd sign up. But when he called them, they want my social security number and date of birth. I was not comfortable with that, so I did not sign up. I let them know that all I have to do with their competitors was show up with a credit card, and they got slightly indignant and wished me luck. So the moral here is I can think of no reason why they would need this information other than the credit checking to see if I can cover the $300 plus modem in the event of damage, etc. This may be worth looking into and discussing with your audience. I can explain this. If you go to a cell phone carrier, one of the big three, you go to Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, and you're signing up for a service where they are doing what's called postpaid, where they're... Uh, billing you after you've received the service rather than prepaid where you are paying in advance of the service that's being rendered you for postpaid have to give a social security number to any of the companies prepaid you don't and so you would find that if you go to let's say uh, metro by t-mobile their prepaid arm or you go to cricket which is AT&T's prepaid, or you go to Visible, 
you're not going to have to, which is Verizon's prepaid, one of their prepaids, you're not going to have to give a social. But if you go to the flagship and you're buying a postpaid service, you have to give your social because they do run the credit check on you. I want to tell you that I appreciate all your questions. When you have a question for me, please go to clark.com slash ask to post it. And I want to tell you that it is an honor to have the opportunity to share this podcast with you. If you've just found your way here, love it if you would subscribe. If you've enjoyed it, share it with your friends. And I want you to know we are all together part of what makes up Team Clark because we all learn from each other and know that around the clock, we serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.